Good morning, John. Good morning, Ray. And good morning to everyone who's listening. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Saturday Morning Sales Meeting. Absolutely. We're happy you're here and we're happy to be here. Yeah, we are. On a cloudy day here in uh, beautiful, what is it, South uh, Eastern Tennessee? South Central? Are we South Central? <laughs> I think it would be Southeastern. It's right. the very southeast corner of Tennessee. The beautiful banks of the Tennessee River we and the, the glorious banks. Lookout Mountain. Uh, in, in, in the shadow of Chattanooga, Tennessee, in yeah. the shadow of Lookout and, and Signal, which isn't even a mountain. Did you know that Signal Mountain isn't a mountain? <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, it actually falls short of the whatever the. Oh the, really? Yeah. I lived out in Oklahoma for a couple of years, and they had very uh, mountainous out there. Well, well, I was driving around with a, a <clears throat> person I had met. <clears throat> pardon me, and uh, there was a little like mound you know probably i don't know 40 feet high right 50 feet high and uh i'm like oh look you got a little mound over here and she's like oh yeah that's such and such mountain i'm like oh it is. <laughs> it's a mountain okay, good. <laughs> i mean compared to the rest of it in the dust bowl right well when uh you know when i married my first wife she was from western pennsylvania in a very mountainous area and we were flying into, I was from Fort Lauderdale. How's she doing, by the way? All right, we're going to cut that <laughs> out. <laughs> we're going to cut that right out. Okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Very mountainous region from western Pennsylvania. So we were flying into South Florida. And she said, as we were flying in on our approach, she saw a big green hill. And she said, well, that that's at least a raised area, you know, in South Florida, which is... yeah." At or below sea level. Yes. Yeah, and uh, she said, "I, you know, if we live down here, I want to live near there. And I was <laughs> okay. like, hey, well, it's the dump. Oh, it's it's wow. it, literally, you know, I mean, you don't well, want to live anywhere near there. The trash. Where they pile up all the trash and they kind of put grass up one yeah. side of it. This big mound of, uh, right. of literal trash. So, jeez, uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't move there. Well, that's we'll just, good. That's good. I'm glad you didn't live there. Maybe we'll cut all this out. <laughs> it's fine. So, so uh, Ray, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about management in a dealership. Uh, management. We had talked about this like for 30 seconds before we, we started recording. We did. I let you know, hey, here's what I want to talk about today. And you right. said, all right, let's do that. So if I understand it correctly, it's what is the what should be a manager's role in a dealership? Right. Yeah. What What is their purpose? What is their uh, what should their goals be? All right. How can they do a better job or how can they continue to, to function at that high level? Um, yeah. Where should their their intent be with regard to their management style and kind of the underlying premise. I know the approach I've taken when I've been in dealerships around the country is I firmly believe every problem in a dealership is a management problem and every solution is a management solution. I mean, I feel very strongly about this and I believe you do too, but I thought, okay, in the times that I've been a manager, what was important to me? And without a doubt, it was, I kind of took ownership of my team. You know, I mean, 
in the way that if they weren't successful, then I felt responsible, you know, that I was failing as their leader. Yes. Well, I, I went from being a consultant to being in management before I went back into consulting and, uh, you know, had the, the partner of the dealership uh, regularly remind me, well, Ray, you always said every problem in your dealership is a management problem, so we're having a problem. It's your fault. Yeah, yeah, no, it's much nicer to be the guy pointing at the management than yeah. the guy having the finger pointed at you. Right, right. Uh, so when we talk about what a successful manager should look like, should be doing um, on a day-to-day basis, uh, you always talk about the need to be a, a mentor, not necessarily a, a boss or, right. or you know, be a, a mentor, manager. not a manager. Yeah, yeah. It, it's different. Managing things is different from leading a team, right? Yeah. But to be a leader of people, it takes a, a whole different skill set, and uh, I think produces you know a lot better results. Well, and I would say. Neither one of those two things are mutually exclusive. Right, right. right? I mean, we have to be managing the activity, yeah, ultimately, yeah. because the activity is what's going to produce the results. If it's a numbers game, right, we got to know the numbers to win the game. So, therefore, how many people are they talking to? If we go back to the old, you know, I got to talk to five to write up three to sell one. Right. You know, it becomes, uh, I don't have to worry as a salesperson who the next person who's going to buy is going to be. All I have to worry about is who are the next five I'm going to talk to yeah. because I know just because or, the... Or who's the next one? I'm right, who's the next to. one, right? Yeah. But you just continue to say, okay, who's the next one? But knowing that those numbers are going to bear fruit, right? It's the, you know, principle of attrition. It's all. It's going to happen. There's going to be a, an outcome. And then how can I increase my likelihood or you know if it's one out of five how can i make it two out of five right Um, and it's it's a stress reliever to get that off of your mind of oh my gosh i've got to sell a car today or i've got to you know get x result today right and now you're just thinking hey what's my next move what's my next step yeah just talk to one and then talk to one and then talk to one there's a great book about this i believe we've talked about it before maybe not it's called the present okay um Kevin Dreyer uh, shared this book with me, and it's one of the stories, and it kind of goes through this man's life, uh, and this older guy's mentor telling him that, uh, you know, the greatest gift in his life is the, the present. Right. So one of the stories is uh, he goes to a cabin out in the woods, and he looks at this gorgeous big fireplace. It's built with river stone, and he just starts kind of looking at it, and he's like, man, I wonder who built that. I wonder how long it took him. And then he kind of gets into this whole discussion of uh, he realized that he built that one stone at a time. Right. Because they're all different shapes and they all have to fit together, you know, so they don't fall over. So, you know, he puts a little mortar here and he finds the perfect stone and he puts it down there. And, you know, the purpose of the whole story is he built it one stone at a time. He didn't look at the whole big picture and think, man, I got to build this fireplace. He thought, what rock do I need next? What's the next step? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that mentality. Also, I think when we're talking about managing from a mentorship perspective, um, there's a a book I read uh, some years ago, and I've referenced it a lot in my consulting and thoughts on management called uh, Don't Fire Them, Fire Them Up. Yeah. Uh, and the the kind of the underlying premise to the book is it was a, a guy who took, 
he was working with Xerox and and he went into the worst performing uh, office in the country and rather than just going and you know oh well all the salespeople are the problem right we just got to right. get new salespeople get new salespeople he, yeah. he went in and he sat down with the poor performers and said you know okay what are we doing today right mm-hmm. who 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 are we going to go see well i don't have any appointments all right well then how are we going to get some appointments yeah. well i'm going to i'm going to call some people i've got some people to call great let's call them yeah who are we right? calling yeah who? And what's what's their number? Would you like me to die? Yeah. Oh, I, I've left him two or three messages. He won't answer. He, he won't answer. He won't call <laughs> right, me back. Right. I said, all right, well, let's call him. Right? Oh, okay. And I call him. And one <laughs> ring, and the guy, hello. Yeah. And I hold the phone away and look at the sales guy and go, oh, my God, he answered. Isn't that crazy? The guy well, who won't take a call, and he answered on what? Hello, Mr. Jones? So, well, I think the the more likely excuse is not. I left him a few messages. It's well, he's supposed to get back with me, right? Right. Now he's. Th- I gave him some numbers, and he's thinking about it. Now I gave him some options, and he's he's mulling it over. Yeah. He's supposed to get. He, he's going to get back to me. Yeah, in a couple of weeks, he'll probably call. That's, no. that's a surefire way to be successful in this business. Is we're going to wait for Mr. Jones. Right. Just wait for them to call back when they're ready. Whenever I'm talking to a customer or whenever I'm managing somebody or mentoring or however you want to call it uh, to deal with a customer, I always say, keep the ball. Right? I want the ball. In other words, I want the next activity to be mine. Yeah. I don't want to say, you know, hey, Mr. Jones, well, you know, hey, here's the information. Just call me when you get a chance. I always want to leave it at Hey, Mr. Jones, what do you think? You you know, talk to your wife tonight. You think you'll know something about tomorrow? Why don't I give you a call tomorrow? Is morning or afternoon better? I'll reach back out to you. So then when I go back to that person, if I left the ball with them to say, hey, once you're done with this information, mulling it over, whatever it is, you call me. If I call them then, it's like, well, listen, man, what are you calling me for? Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to call you when I'm ready. Rather than I'm fulfilling a set expectation by, hey, here's the expectation. I'm going to call you back tomorrow. And then I actually call and they go, geez, this guy's on it, right? Well, that's the key, I believe, is is you have set that expectation. When you're looking at it from, from that manager's perspective, if you're coaching your salespeople from that perspective, that you keep the next activity, keep the ball, everything should be up to you for the next intended action that's going to take place in this engagement between you and Mr. Customer, there should always be a a next step that falls on you, right? I should never hear from one of my salespeople, well, I'm just waiting on him to get back to me, right? Right. Because there should always be that, why are you waiting for him to get back to you? Did you not keep the ball? The next step should always be the, the, the employee's and they should always have an answer for what is the next step. Yeah. Or gotcha. if they don't have a next step, then that's a natural coaching opportunity. How could you have kept the ball? Right? Mm-hmm. What occurred? And and then it comes down to, I think, we want an environment where salespeople feel free to share the real situation. And I think that goes back to it being a coaching opportunity rather than a bitch fest. Well, one thing you used to say that I really liked was catch them doing something right. Yeah. In my coaching experience, you know, let me back up. When I was um, in a dealership and I had goals and things that I had to meet, I always felt a responsibility to be a top performer. I wanted to be the best that I could be. And that fell on my shoulders. So I held myself to a high standard to perform. 
I found very quickly in my coaching uh, role that I couldn't be that way with people that were looking to me for leadership and mentorship. You know, I couldn't say, well, this is what has to be done and we have to do it. Let's get it done. Right. You know, I mean, you know, we do have these goals and expectations of our teams, but I found it was much more effective to give that positive reinforcement and partly because of that little saying that you shared, yeah. you know, catch them doing something right instead of always trying to correct the things they're doing wrong. So I found that when I went into dealerships and the first thing I said was, uh, wow, I really love the way that you uh, answered th that lead so quickly. You know, I hated what you said to the guy when you got him on the phone. I would, you know, I wouldn't say this. But, but it could have been an absolute horrible conversation. But I praised how quickly this person picked up the phone. And ultimately, the goal should be, I would think, is that I want the salesperson to engage with me as their manager, as their mentor, as somebody who can... Who, who is supposed to have the information and knowledge to help promote the, the correct activity. I think when you say correct, you mean most effective. Right. I just, yeah. Or, not, yeah, not that there's or, a right and a wrong way, just there's, there's a way that's more effective and a way that's less effective. Right. And in looking at that, do I want somebody who's receptive to that? Or am I looking for somebody who's going to go, oh, God, i got to go talk to the manager again. This sucks. You know, just leave me alone. Um, and and the more we can have them, uh, I think there's, there's nothing to me that looks truly high-functioning dealership than seeing salespeople who are engaging the managers saying, hey, man, let me, let me walk through this with you. Let me tell you what happened. Help me do better. Yeah. God, can you find a more positive, uh, growing environment than where mentoree is seeking out yeah. the mentorship, the, well, the advice of the manager, rather than going, you know, oh, she, he's coming this way. Let me duck in this corner and get away from those prying eyes. But I think it's a direct result of the type of leadership that the, the manager is putting forth. Right. It's kind of a circular problem and solution. The more the manager seeks out to help others and to help lead their team, the more their team is going to seek out their advice and their mentorship. I was talking with a friend of mine who's a GM of a dealership, and he was out you know, with a couple of his managers out smoking, and they were complaining about <laughs> the salespeople. You know, yeah. oh, God, these salespeople, you know, they're just such a pain in the ass and they won't do what you're asking them to do. And, you know, and, and he stopped them very quickly and shared with me the story how he said, listen, it's not them. It's you, right? You guys are the problem. If there's a problem with the salespeople, it's you. It's not on them. You guys are not being effective with them. And you need to look yourself in the mirror and determine what is it about how I'm managing them that is causing them to not want to respond with what I'm doing, not want to uh, produce the results I'm looking for from an activity standpoint. And I thought that was very insightful. And gosh, if we had more of that rather than you know, just like the salespeople can get in those clusters and kind of get all negative about the customers, the managers can get in the same clusters and be all negative about the salespeople. Well, well that's what I was going to add is that the, the sales managers started smoking in a different location after that, I bet. Right, right. right <laughs> they didn't yeah. go back there anymore. They, the next time the guy went out back to smoke with them. They all, was, they were, uh, yeah, I was just finishing up. Uh, there, was, there was nobody there. Yeah. But, so, it, so what... Just right. to analyze that situation and maybe overanalyze it, I think, you know, in the lines of what we're talking about, what he could have said is, 
Really, that's that's surprising to hear because I know, you know, salesman Jimmy, man, he was really positive the other day. You know, he did this thing great. Yeah. You know, maybe you kind of spin it, you know, manage the manager. What is it? Train the trainer. Right. Well, and and uh, and we said in a in a different uh, podcast that it's really the the customers are the salespeople's customers, but the the salespeople are the manager's customers. Right, that that if the managers yeah. looked at the salespeople more as their customer, that, that's quite a leap to say that the customers are the salespeople's customers. Just, well, I, I think you're going to get a lot of people going. Well, and, but but I do understand what you're saying. And I've had those conversations right. or, or those those meetings where I right. I strongly emphasize the fact that every person who is interested in buying a car here is the dealership's customer. Right. 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 So ultimately. You know, the, the dealership from dealer on down has the right to do with that customer as they see fit because ultimately it is their customer. Right. But, but to go along with your point, you're saying that the, the, the person that is selling the customer is the salesperson. Right. The person that is selling the salesperson is the manager. Right. The person that's selling the manager is the GM. Right. Ultimately. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and if we look at it from that perspective, it's just a mindset. Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm getting at. So yeah. th- thank you for the clarification. It is. It's, I, it's I should the, have I should have sandwiched it. With, right. Between, right. I love the point you're making, and uh, it makes the, a lot the of middle sense. part just sucks. But hey, you know what? Your your enthusiasm, I can really get behind that. So ultimately, yeah, it's it is it's that mindset of who who am I trying to encourage, reinforce. You know who is it that that I'm here to motivate? I think it's it's the manager's responsibility to motivate the salespeople to therefore that the salespeople can be better motivators of the customer. So so let's put it in um, just down to brass tacks here. If you're a sales manager or a GM and you walk in and your salespeople are crapped out, maybe take a look in the mirror and wonder what you could do differently. Right, they would correct that. Right, and don't go beat yourself up. Hey, take yeah. take some time, pull them together, and say, "Man, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to kill it today." You guys are all here because I had full confidence when I hired you, as I do today, that you were the best team I could possibly field in order to be successful in this business. And you're here for a reason. <laughs> and by I could possibly field, I mean, of the applicants that right. I got for your position, <laughs> you were the best of the best. So, Well, it's like I, I had a coach tell me one time, you know, when I played football. He said, Ray, I have to say, in full honesty, out of all the players I've ever coached, you are definitely one of them. <laughs> and I really felt good about that. Well, that's right? good. You're one. Uh, yeah. That was a huge compliment for me. I, I I'm, so. you know, of all the players you'd ever seen, I was one of them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. All right. So we're talking about being a mentor, not a manager. So yeah. Other than your your attitude and your approach, do well, let, let's switch gears. Let's talk about the the accountability piece because okay. you you can't be all fluffy and you know rainbows and waterfalls i mean there are times where you know you have to be the guy to go in and manage right because somebody's just not doing the activities that you need them to do so how do we address that well i want to get to the root right i believe that most people want to be successful they want to make more money they want to provide for their families so if i can understand why someone is doing things in opposition to that goal 
I feel like I would like to understand why so that maybe I could offer some assistance in getting around that obstacle. I would oh, agree. Gonna... But you're going to run into those people who just, they're just not willing to do what you tell them to do, right? I mean, you can... They're having a bad day or they've got home problems or... Or just, yeah, or they're, they're just not a good fit. Uh, you know, I mean... You're uh, keeping them from their true destiny? Yeah, well, the... People will gravitate toward the things that they enjoy. Okay. All right. So is is what I found is if they are if there's something that they enjoy doing or and typically you enjoy doing what you're good at. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there's a book about that managed by strengths. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I'm a firm believer that it it comes down to you know, if they're just not good at the things that they need to do. Right. I mean, if if the the telephone is a, you know, 80 pound weight to them. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, they would rather do anything than pick up that phone and call somebody on the phone. Right. Then you're not going to want to put them in, in your BDC because that's their that's their job ultimately. Right. And if right. it's just something or they're just not a people person. Right, and they took this job because somebody told them, "Hey, man, you can make a lot of money doing this." But God, they just hate talking You're to dealing people. Dealing with the public, or yeah. Then, unfortunately, they're they're not a good fit. Yeah, they're just not in the right role for them. So we are going to find those times where, and I know you're more of a let's find a way to to correct that. Hopefully, that's something that we find during the interview process. Well, that's a very. I think that may be one of my shortcomings, and also. Perhaps one of my blessings is that, uh, yeah, I, I believe, see, the magic to me is taking that person who is afraid of the phone, you know, who, who basically won't get on the phone. I've been in BDCs with people that made 25 calls a day. And I'm thinking, how can you apply for this job to be on the phone and then hate it so much you're making 25 calls a day? Well, you know, it gets down to fear. I'm afraid I'm not good at it. So I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, I've had negative reinforcement because I believe I'm not good at it. Then I get on the phone and I'm not good at it, which reinforces my belief that I'm not going to be good at it. Right. Well, and if we can correct that and kind of give them some confidence and the confidence I believe comes from knowing this. So if we, if we get on the phone knowing that what we're going to say works and get on the phone knowing that we're going to have a positive result, then you go into it with more confidence, which again, reinforces well, I know I'm going to do a good job, and then I did a good job, which reinforces the fact that I know I'm going to do a good job next time. So this spiral could either be negative or positive in, in all things. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a firm believer in, I mean, I know it sounds cheesy, but I just want to help people kind of get through their own personal obstacles. Uh, because I had mentors in my life that did that for me, and, man, was it an amazing feeling to you know be able to accomplish something that you didn't think you could accomplish and it's such a glorious kind of life and feeling that I want to share that. I want other people to experience that. Oh, yeah. Well, and and I think that same trap managers fall into. And I found in dealerships I've gone into all over the country, and you may have seen the same thing, is that managers spend more time with the most successful people in the dealership yeah. The salespeople who are doing really well than they do with those who are, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, failing. Yeah. 
So, I mean, gosh, why, why would you want to be spending your time with the people who already, but it's, it's again, it's, it's we gravitate toward what we're good at. And if we feel reinforces a manager because, you know, Billy salesman who's killing it, right? I'm, I want to engage with him because that makes me feel good as a manager, makes him feel better as a salesperson rather than, you know, Johnny salesperson who's, you know, we're not sure if we're going to keep him for one more month because he's never going to dig his way out of the hole he's dug with the, you know, with his his uh, hourly money. With his draw? Right, with the draw. <laughs> he's three weeks into the draw. Yeah. He's got to sell 16 cars to get out In of the draw. In order to be even. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So, well, that's, that brings back a point. Um, when I was in a dealership selling cars many moons ago, and, you know, I'd hang out with my friends and they'd say, so so what do you make over there? Like, I've heard that you make a lot of money. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't have a salary. You know, there's, I can't tell you how much I make other than to tell you what I made last month. Right. And they're like, "What? you, you don't get a salary? What, how much do they pay you? I'm like, well, I mean, technically they pay me minimum wage. But they'd probably only do that for a month or maybe two. Yeah. And if that's all I made, I wouldn't be there very long. So, so right. And, and I know of dealerships who are considering, I think I, I think there's one that even went to where they just pay their salespeople an hourly rate and don't are getting away from commission. I read an article about pay plans, and it's so funny. It was specifically about pay plans in the car business. But this article I found, it was comparing plans from like 1963 to 1971. And so it was really cool. I mean, I, I literally have had that debate in dealers you know, a year ago. Yeah. And here's an article talking about the same subject from the 60s. And it was the same thing. You know, do you pay them a salary plus a, a performance bonus? Or do you pay them strictly commission? And they were having the debate in this article about, well, if it's only commission, then you'll have a high variance of pay and the dealer won't be able to calculate his payroll, you know. But if you pay a salary plus a small bonus, you'll get the same average pay, but you won't have these great performers <laughs> and these bad performers. So it was kind of funny. So conclusion on that? I mean, I, it's just... I don't think there was one. Two ways to skin the I same think the, the article just basically said, here are your options. Right. And didn't recommend one. Because ultimately it it becomes the same. Well, and I think it comes down to individual dealers. Um, anytime I got that question of what should I pay, you know, I kind of threw out, well, here's what I've seen work the best. But, you know, some dealers, uh, they they want to pay low salary and high bonuses. They want that great those great performers. And then I think if you set that up, you kind of attract the great performers from other dealers. That's what I like about it yeah. is that if – if I'm an, I always look at, and you know, I mean, I've done consulting even outside the car business and, and just business in general. And I've always clung to the fact that people are going to see what's important to you as their employer mm -hmm. by what you incentivize with pay. Right? <laughs> right, right. So if the majority of their incentive comes from selling a car, then there's no doubt what's most important to you is selling a car. Right. Now, don't get upset if I'm not doing something that's outside, you know, if I'm 
I'm not out there, you know, helping in the detail department because that's not what you're incentivizing me to do. You're yeah, incentivizing I mean, me to go sell a car. You know, as I coach people professionally, I'd say, look at what they're they're rewarding you with pay for. If there's any kind of bonus structure or a commission or anything, and if you ever wake up in the morning like God, I'm not sure what I should do today, focus your attention on the things that they're going to bonus you on because well, that's why you put bonuses in place. Yeah, it's the old adage: work your pay plan or whatever. Right. Or the salespeople will work their pay plan. But I think, uh, I mean, that's a common. If you flip that kind of on its head and say. Mr. Dealer, incentivize what you want accomplished. Right. Right? Don't just pick a pay plan because that's the pay plan that you knew, and that's what you know most people do. Uh, incentivize what you want. You know, do you want higher CSI? Let's incentivize CSI or, or incentivize training and things like that. Right, but I've seen those dealers who go in and they say, okay, you know, for every person you put in the database, I'm going to give you five bucks. Yeah. Right, and all of a sudden, the number of people with contact information, and everything else, shoots up. And then I've been there when that same dealer has said, "Okay, now I'm no longer giving you the five dollars, but if this goes down, you're fired." <laughs> because if you're willing to do it, if I'm paying you five bucks, that means you can do it. And there was a problem there that you weren't doing it before the incentive came into place. Yeah. So it was really just his opportunity to see. Exactly. Yeah, it, I think that's just dirty pool. Right. But, I, but at some point, you got to go. All right. Is this just really the best we can do, or is this due to the fact that? They're just not doing it because they don't feel that there's a there's an right, and which I think goes back to you know what you said and I've said is is the salesman is the the client of the manager so right. to speak you know is, are you selling them on the value of logging every up right look at the structure I think you you have to get down to that point that you really drill down and say what is my pay plan encouraging my employees to do. Well, look, let's go even higher. Let, let's look at manufacturers and what they pay dealers on. <laughs> now, I know that changes quite frequently, but I've been in several dealerships where the manufacturer is giving the dealer extra money for retention and service, right? If they get their car service there within the first six months or twice within the first two years or whatever it is, then they get a little extra money. They get so a bonus, right. They, yeah, the, so the manufacturer is incentivizing what they want. Right. They're constantly looking at the numbers and going, yeah. all right, where are we failing as a as a OEM, as a manufacturer, and how do we change that? And, yeah, they always do it with money. And, and then a year later, they said, okay, we're not giving you that money anymore. Right. Yeah. But if those numbers drop, right. we're going to hold you responsible. Right. What'd you call it? Dirty pool? Dirty pool. Yeah, that's a little dirty pool right there. But, hey, it's it works, obviously. Right, right. Yeah. So, John, I think that takes us to the end of another episode. Uh, we appreciate everybody for listening to the Saturday Morning Sales Meeting with John and Ray. Another episode of Saturday Morning Sales Meeting. We're, we're happy you joined us. Did I not say that? Is that why you're... Did I say it wrong? Uh, I, I'm not I'm not trying to say that you're not mentoring me, that you're just only calling me well, out. Well, you always say the in front of it, and I don't want people to get confused. I gotta stop that. Another episode of Saturday Morning Sales Meeting. Yeah, and it is something that's going to benefit me, and I recognize that. <laughs> so I appreciate the way that you... You shared that with me, John, here at Saturday Morning Sales Meeting. Almost did it again. It is well, Saturday Morning Sales Meeting with John and Ray. We hope you'll join us again. <laughs>